It's Genesis 3, 1 through 24 is our assignment today, our text. And uh, if you have your Bibles, great. If not, you can look up here. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, yea, hath God said. Everybody say, hath God said. That's the question throughout all of time. Did God really say? Do you really believe what God said? And ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And then he goes on to say, And the woman said unto the serpent, now she's responding, We may eat of the fruit of the tree of the garden. But the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And then as they're having this discourse, the serpent says, And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. For God, oh, and when the woman, uh, for God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be open, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. I want to just preach to you for a little while about the, the story of redemption, the gospel message, and I'm going to just title this The Reptile, the Repetition, and the Refreshing. The Reptile, the repetition and the refreshing. Thank you, Lord, for your word. We receive it today. We live it. We want it to become life in us. Just as you became, Lord God, the word made flesh, help this word to become flesh in our life that we might live it out and be blessed by it. And everybody said, in Jesus' name, you may be seated. Amen. If you need an easier title, you can just call it Lost and Found. Most of us have been to a place where we have left something. Anybody uh, married to or have a, in a relationship with someone who loses things easily? Anybody want to admit to it? You leave. Oh, my wife is raising her hands. Hey, you know, I didn't expect that from that question. I'm just so glad that I have a, a wife that goes, did you remember your phone? Did you grab your iPad or did you grab this or grab that? But there's always in every public forum where people visit and where people buy tickets to see entertainment, there is always a lost and found. Because they understand the propensity of individuals that will sign things out or they'll buy things and they'll set them down or they'll just absentmindedly in the group moment as they're all getting ready to leave, they forget that they set a bag under their chair and they'll walk out without it. And so they have a place where the lost can be found. And I want to tell you that I'm thankful that that that's the story of the cross. That, that's a, that God made sure that there was a lost and found place in eternity and in heaven, also in the earth, so that we could share the message of hope, redemption, and refreshing power of God, that if you are lost, there's a place to be found. Amen? And it's not just being found as in you finding, it's found as in he found you because he can never let you go. He'll never forsake you. He'll never leave you or forsake you. And on the journey through the word today, I pray that you feel the Holy Spirit in this place, that you understand from Garden of Eden to foot of the cross, then to the present moment we're living in, we can experience the refreshing presence of the Almighty God through the power of the Holy Ghost that lives in us. Amen. And so you have to understand, I broke this into a couple of things. The reptile is the fall. 
where Eve encounters a serpent in the garden. And we don't know necessarily or need necessarily to go into all of what that means. Many people have the question, you can Google it, can a serpent really talk? And you'll get all kinds of things from that. But I want you to know that it seems to be a representation of the enemy in the Garden of Eden rather than just a serpent or a snake. Because it says in different places that he is represented in different ways. Amen. And in this particular passage, when it gets to the word serpent, it is actually the, the word nakash in Hebrew, which can be translated to snake as a noun. It can be translated as a verb into divination, which is acts outside of God's will by using spiritual um, influence. And then also it can be used as, as an adjective in Hebrews, which is illumination or, or bright light. So we understand that she was looking at something that didn't repulse her. How many women in the room, if you saw a snake running through here, you'd be up on top of the pew? Most people, I mean, just, I'm not picking on the ladies. I mean, some guys would scream like a lady and get on the pew too. I'm just, I, I, it's okay. It's all right. So, some people just don't like snakes and other people have, uh, you know, a, a snake, you know, aquarium in their home and they have snakes. I, I was interested to know that snakes are not necessarily good pets. You know that? In fact, there was one lady that called into a veterinarian hotline and she said that they let their pet boa constrictor sleep when it was a baby with the kids. They would crawl into the bed and it would sleep with the children and they really liked the warmth of the covers over it and they just thought it was great. And, and slowly the reptile, or the snake began to grow and began to grow and they said he has never grown like this until he started sleeping in the bed with the kids. And the, the um, particular call-in host said, you need to get that snake out of your kid's bed because it's growing to the size it needs to grow to to eat them it was it was changing it was changing itself in order to fit its diet amen and so he was saying you need to take out that boa constrictor out of the bed because it is not a pet it does not have your best interests in mind and so I wonder if maybe the snake is not there just to remind us though it was beautiful maybe it was illuminescent maybe it was gorgeous in its presentation, obviously Eve was not repelled by it in its original form, but the Bible says that it was a serpent nonetheless, and so we have to take it at face value sometimes and understand it was a representation of the evil one, Satan's Lucifer, amen? And he came to question God, and so he, he asked the question to her as the reptile, the snake literally talked or did not, uh, it was spoken in her language, God can do anything, amen? But I don't believe it was vocal cords of a snake, I believe it was a representation of the evil one in the garden. So God cannot be involved necessarily. I prefer to say it this way, that evil can beguile through a serpent. Amen. If that is the need, if it is a serpent, a real serpent that we are talking about, then God would have to miraculously allow the serpent to speak in order to talk to Eve, which means that God would be involved in the tempting of Eve to sin. And we know that God does not tempt any man to sin, James 1.3. Amen, somebody? For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. So we know the description here is, is just uh, understanding that the Bible is not just a textbook with points and, and understanding, but the Bible is a book of mysteries and understanding. Some people go into the area of this is poetry. It's not necessarily um, directly saying what's happening here, but I want you to know that it uses the serpent because it wants us to understand that it was crafty. It was a deceiver. 
deceiver. It tempted Eve with the fruit from the forbidden tree. And, and in her disobedience, sin entered into the world. Amen. It wants us to understand that there was divination involved. There was a different will than the will of God involved. There was something happening in this moment where the evil one beguiled Eve through the serpent. And so symbolically of Satan, yes, he sowed doubt and mistrust with the question, ultimately separating Adam and Eve from God. But if you look in your Bible, you see that this isn't the story of Eve standing at the tree and Adam afar off. For the Bible says he was right there next to her. It says, and when the woman saw that the tree in verse 6 was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of the tree... She took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her and he did eat and the eyes and the eyes of them both were opened and they knew that they were naked and sewed fig leaves together to make themselves aprons. In other words, they realized they were no longer covered. The covering of God had been removed and they recognized that. So whenever they decided they were going to sew something together to cover themselves, it was not enough. And they heard in verse 8, and they heard the voice of God, of the Lord God, walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, where art thou? Where did you go? He didn't leave. Obviously, God knew where he was. God never asked us a question. He doesn't know the answer to. Amen. So if God asks you a question, be sure he's trying to teach you something. And so he said, I heard, the vo I heard thy voice in the garden, verse 10. And I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told thee thou was naked? Who told you you were uncovered? God was wanting to communicate very, at the very beginning of the Bible that you are never to be uncovered. You are never to walk without the covering of the Holy Ghost in your life. You're never supposed to walk without the covering of the blood of Jesus Christ in your life. He had a plan before he had a man, brothers and sisters, and he knew that there was going to come a moment where we were going to have to decide within our own will, are we going to do what God wants us to do? Are we going to choose the ways that God wants us to go? Are we going to choose our own way? Do we want our own role, our own way? And so he said, what? What have you done or how did you know or who told thee that thou was naked? Because obviously you wouldn't come to this by yourself unless something had changed. Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee thou should not eat? And the man said, the woman who thou get Here we go. The eternal blame game. Started in Genesis, brothers and sisters. I'm going to have to go all the way to Revelation to prove to you that the blame game is all through the Bible. We'll get done about three this morning. It'll be okay. You know a long preacher when you know a long-winded preacher if they start in Genesis, amen. But he said, The woman whom thou gavest to me to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I did eat. So he's standing there, he watches the entire interaction. She turns and says, Hey, this is good for fruit. Lust of the flesh. This is pleasant to the eyes, lust of the eyes. This is one to make one wise, pride of life. Those are the three things that cause us to fall into sin. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, the pride of life. And so she's like handing this to him. He eats and then God comes to them and he says, yeah, the woman you gave me. That woman you gave me, Lord, she's the one that caused the problem. So he passes blame down to the woman. And he, she gave 
me of the tree and I did eat. And the Lord said unto the woman. So he goes, okay, I'll believe you at your word. And so he goes to the woman. And the woman's, and the Lord God said unto the woman, what is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, the serpent begot. She blames the serpent. So man blames woman. You know the old preacher joke. Man blames woman. Woman blames the serpent. The serpent didn't have a leg to stand on. You've heard that one, huh? I get one good preacher joke in every sermon. And the woman said, the serpent beguiled me and I did eat. And the Lord God said to the serpent, notice how God honors their words. When the man said it was the woman, he went to the woman. When the woman said it was a snake, he went to the snake. And he started with the curses all the way at the end of the chain of the blame game. He said, and the Lord God said unto the serpent, because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle. And of all beasts of the field, upon the belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all thy days of thy life. It's interesting that we are made of dust. And he's a serpent in the garden, but he's a dragon in Revelation. And he's been eating and swallowing up and devouring mankind who's made of dust of the ground. This is a prophecy that he wants to take as many souls with him as he can. And he's trying to deceive the world, brothers and sisters. And we have to understand that if we don't spend time in this word and we don't have the Holy Spirit in our life, the earnest of our inheritance that leads and guides us into all truth, we can be deceived. And I know when I say that, you're like, no, I have a really good deception monitor. I know when someone's telling me something. I, I can tell when someone's trying to sell fleas to a dog. I know if someone's trying to sell sand in, in a desert. And I, I don't get deceived that often, Pastor. Maybe that's true. And I trust you with that. But I guarantee you, you can be deceived. Because you don't know you're deceived till you come out of deception. And you look back at it and go, wow, why didn't I know that that was hurting me? Why didn't I know that I was deceived in that moment? And so the repetition of understanding God's word, number one, it was the reptile. Number two is the repetition. We have to repeat over and over again the word of God and rehearse it in our lives. And we have to come into his presence like we did here today and say again and again and again, the miracles and the power and the working of God in our life. We have to hear, lift our hands and praise and worship him and remind ourselves of everything he has done and can do because he's already done it once. He can do it again. Amen. I'm so thankful I know he's a God who can and do it all over again. I don't know if the circumstances have changed for you. I don't know if there's something that has gone different in your life and now maybe you're under this word today or you're listening online, but I can tell you if he's ever done anything, he can do it again. If you go digging in your word and you find where he fed the 5,000, he can put groceries in your refrigerator. If you go find a place where he brought money out of a fish's mouth to pay the tax collector, he can help you pay your tax bill on your mortgage. He can do anything, if you will go seek him, God can do it again. Somebody say again. Finding our way back to God is so very important. The reptile is the fall. The return or repetition is going to take some time because that's us finding our way back to God. The story of humanity's journey is so fraught with many trials and failures that we wander away from God just automatically and we can be deceived so easily. And from time, from time beginning to time end, there's going to be some way that someone is trying to deceive you.
And you need the Holy Ghost to lead and guide you. Amen? God reached out to his people offering redemption and forgiveness. But he asked them to do it over and over. Not because it needs to be done over every time, but because we need to be reminded of the saving graces of Jesus Christ. We need to go back to the foot of the cross in our minds every single day. Paul said, I die daily. I die out to my will and my way. Every single day we need to die out to our will and our way and say, God, use me. Bring your will into my life. Make this a beautiful, this day, a beautiful reminder of the repetition of the victory that you just keep given me in my life. Even though I may not see it right now, he's a God of second chances and third chances and fourth chances. And even when we fall and we fail, God is still there to pick us back up again and give us another chance. He's willing to help us if we have a repentant heart. The repetition of the Bible demonstrates that God is unchanging in his love and he desires us to return to him again and again and again. One of the greatest prayers you can ever pray is, Lord, don't let me be deceived. My pastor taught me that when I was very young. He said, if you want to pray something that changes your life, you say in your prayer time, once a week at least, God, I plead the blood over my mind, over my heart, over my ambition. Please do not let me live deceived. And God will break every chain in that area in your life. He'll tear down every stronghold in your mind, and he'll set himself up, and nothing can live where he lives because he's the God of all truth. Amen. He's the God of all truth. Amen. Truth is not an ideology. Truth is not something you find in a university. Truth is Jesus Christ. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I know that I have the truth because I have Jesus in my life. He said, truth is a person, and you cannot be deceived if you walk with Jesus Christ. Amen. But I want you to know that you can have deception happen in your life. I don't know if you've ever seen this or not, but there's something known as cognitive bias and then also repetitive bias. Like when you begin to think something, you begin to see it more often in your world. Like your eyes confirm what your brain is thinking. So if you think negative thoughts all the time, you're going to pull things in from your life that reinforce your negative thoughts. That's why the Bible says take every thought into captivity it actually means in the original language to put it with a spear up against the wall and analyze whether it's yours, should be in your life or not. It says take every thought into captivity because what you're thinking you're going to process and your reality becomes what you think. So that's why he says think on things that are pure, lovely, of good report. He wants you to take negative thoughts that are heavily rooted in your life, take a while to, to stick them to the wall and say that's not from God, that's not for my life, I am blessed, I'm a blessed child of God. I'm blessed coming in and going out. I'm blessed in the field and at home. I'm blessed when I'm getting up and when I'm laying down. Those are God thoughts, brothers and sisters. And you need to process that or else you will continue, continually lay in a rut of negative thinking and you need to remove negative thinking. God does not give you negative thinking. We pick up negative thoughts along the way. But I want you to hear this individual and this quote um, Sarah, would you hand me my phone real quick? I meant to do this from my phone, but I want to show you how easily you can be deceived. Now that I've said that, you're going to be watching, right? You're like, ah, he's not going to get me. But I want you to see what I'm talking about. This is, uh, 
this is a group of men that are chan chanting, that is so embarrassing. I want you to tell me if you can hear them say this. How many heard that is embarrassing? Sounds like that is embarrassing. None of, nobody wants to raise their hand. It can't be that, Pastor. You already set it up. Well, they're actually saying that isn't my receipt. That isn't my, listen to it again. How many heard them say that isn't my receipt? That sounds just like it. They're, they're actually not saying that. They're actually saying that is a pharmacy. Listen again. Listen again. Did you hear that as a pharmacy that time? You're like, no, I am not being deceived right now, Pastor. You cannot do this to me. That's actually not what it says. They are actually yelling that is... That isn't piracy because they were chanting it. Listen again. Any, any takers on that one? One more. Let's see. No, two more. Uh, they're actually saying that is, that is a Martian. How many heard that as a Martian? How many noticed that I'm setting you up to believe something? One more. This is actually what they're saying. They're saying that isn't bouncing. Just so you know. You can be deceived, brothers and sisters. And it's very easy to be deceived. That's why you need to spend time in the presence of the Lord. That's why you need to spend time in the word of God. So when someone is preaching something, don't take me at my word. You need to take God at his word, amen. You need to go home. You need to read your word. You need to be invested enough in your, in your study time that you can hide the word of God in your heart, that you might not sin against God. It will keep you from deception, amen. When my wife calls me on the phone and she says, hey, I don't say, who is this? She says, it's me, Sarah. I don't go, Sarah who? <laughs> Why? Because we've been married for 28 years this year. And when she says, hey, I say, thank you. It's very kind of you. When she says, hey, I say, hey, what's going on? Because I know her voice. And I get so many people asking me sometimes, Pastor, how do I know the will of God? How do I know the will of God? If you keep just walking toward God, he'll make his will happen in your life. And if you keep praying and seeking God and studying his word, when God says, hey, you won't go, well, is that the devil? Is that my flesh? You will know it's the voice of God when he speaks. Not only will you know it's the voice of God because you spend time with him, He's the same God yesterday, today, and forever. So when he speaks, he'll talk to you like he speaks from this word. Amen? So that's why this word will always match what he says to your heart. 
There are times when you're in God's presence where there's a sweet refreshing that comes, where God's spirit downloads into your spirit, and you cannot understand it yet. But why do we come to church and we stand here and we're feeling goosebumps and we feel the presence of God moving, and we know that God is in this room, and we're like, well, it's just another Sunday morning church worship. We do this every Sunday morning. We enjoy it. We like it. We love it. But we came and we came to church, and now we're going to go have some chicken, amen? But we have to understand that there are some things that are deposited in your life for your refreshing that you will not understand while you're standing in his presence. But when you honor his presence, his spirit will put things into your spirit that will effervescent up to your heart and your heart will begin to fall in love with things that you never thought you could do and the desire for sin will be taken out of your life and you'll be born again, brothers and sisters. You'll be living a new life in a new testament and a new fulfillment of God. God's plan in your life and that new fulfillment of God's plan will help you to understand his voice. All the things that we need in our life is that we need to continually repeat the things that God has said. It brings us into the rest of his spirit. Amen. When we're filled with the Holy Ghost speaking in tongues, I'm so thankful that I know Paul preached about it. But in Mark, he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man not the man for Sabbath. Therefore, the Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. He's saying that we're not made, we're not, that the, the day of rest was not made for man, but we're made for rest is what he's saying. And the rest is the Spirit of God that comes to us. There remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God, Hebrews 4, 9. Hebrews 4, 10 says, for that for he that is entered into his rest. What rest is it talking about? The infilling of the Holy Ghost, brothers and sisters, where God takes a part of his spirit and puts it inside of you. He said he also has ceased from his own works. The own works there is not works to be saved. It's talking about the unrighteous works of sin in our life. He says you literally can find a place in God if you spend enough time with him. And he says, hey, come back with me. Come, come away with me, my child. You can spend time with God in a way that actually changes your desires, and you don't want to look like that anymore, and you don't want to talk like that anymore, and you don't want to act the way you used to act. In fact, some of you look in the mirror now, and you're like, I don't even look or act like I used to so many years ago. I'm a completely changed person. Why? Because when his rest, the Holy Ghost, enters into your life, you cease from your own works. The Holy Ghost gives you the power over sin, brothers and sisters. And it does it by taking out the desire to sin. So that's why Paul says, if you want to walk with God, walk after the spirit, not after the flesh, because the flesh will lead you back to your old works that are supposed to be dead in Christ Jesus. But the spirit, walking in the spirit, getting up every morning, putting two feet on, on the floor and saying, God, today is your day. Whatever you want to do in my life, whatever you want to do at work, however you want me to shine my light, I will do it. You put anybody in my path, I will tell them about you in the gospel. God did that for us, and he did it through Jesus Christ, death on the cross and his resurrection, and the power of God is now in us, those that believe, amen, that God can change things. Unbelief will keep us out of God's rest. It will keep us out of God's rest. Let us labor, therefore, to enter into the rest. What kind of labor is it talking about? It's talking about reaching for God, like birthing pains toward God, like desiring the things of God. 
Unbelief thus keeps us out of rest because unbelieving and unbelievers cannot accept the power of the Holy Spirit in their life because they're always processing and engineering and architecting their own life. They never ask God, what would you want to do with my life? And we live a life that's surrendered to him, amen? And so that's where the refreshing comes. The work cease of sin and the power of God leads us to a point of great surrender in him. How many believe that to be true? Would you stand with me today? Thank you, Jesus, for your word. There's an illustration in the Bible that I want to close with today. Pastor Reese, there's two places where I see an alabaster box in the Bible. It's a woman named Mary and another woman who was a woman of the night, best way I can say it. What they would do is they would decorate their bed with spices and rose petals and things, and then they would anoint themselves with a perfume, and they would go out and stand in the way, and they would seduce young men to come in and lay with them. And the perfume that they would put on would tell the people in society that they were women of the night, that they were available for these things. It's the nicest way I can say it, okay? And one of these women came to Jesus and anointed his feet with her tears. But the story I want to pull up is about Mary, the, the sister of Lazarus. You know Lazarus. He came out of the grave like this after three days because he was wrapped up like a mummy. And Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth when he stood at his tomb and wept because he had lost a friend. But then he said the words that no one can deny. You know why he called his name? Because if Jesus had just said, come forth, they all would have come out like this. <laughs> he had to specify who he was going to raise, amen? Because he's got life in his tongue and power in his name. And he said, if he says, come forth in your life, it's getting up, amen? It's resurrecting itself. No matter what it is, I don't care how dead it looks. They said, hey, you don't want to roll that stone away, Jesus. Lazarus has been dead for three days, four days, I think. And then he said, no, no, you don't understand. I'm the resurrection and the life. I'm here right now, not someday. I'm here right now, and I can speak life into anything. If you get in my presence, I'll speak life to the dead things in your life. And so I'm so thankful that she came. She was so appreciative. The Bible says she broke her alabaster box, and she spilled oil on his head and anointed his feet. And the oil that's in there, it says it was worth a denarii, and well, a denarii was about a day's wage, but it said it was worth about 300 denarii, which is about a year's wage. It was like a little vessel that she had, and she broke it, and she anointed Jesus, and Judas Iscariot, of course, one that kept the bag. He's like, man, we could have sold this for 300 denarii. We could have sold this precious oil for a year's worth of wages. And the Bible said that he was so upset because he was a thief. He wanted the money. But Jesus said, hold on, hold on. And he was influencing the other disciples because they were like, yeah, yeah, we could have sold that and fed the poor. Why, why did she do such a thing? Now the house smells like this aroma. It was, a, it, it was spikenard, which is found near the Himalayan mountains. And so it was very rare. It had to be shipped in for her to get it into her hands. And she said, you are so valuable to me, Jesus, that I'll give you the most valuable thing in my life. 
I'll give you the thing that cost me the most. That's my life, my worship. Have you ever had worship cost you something? Have you ever had to give your praise to Jesus in moments where you had struggle and trouble in your life and you didn't know how things were going to turn out, but you said, Jesus, you're my victory. Jesus, you're my Lord. I give you a praise that cost me. I give you the sacrifice of praise, God. And so she opened up the only thing she had and she poured it on her Jesus. And all the others were like, I, I don't know. This was a horrible idea. What she poured on him is about 11.6 ounces. A little bit more than this, about the size of a Coke can. She poured a pound, the Bible says in the scripture, about a pound of it, which comes to about 12 ounces in, in the translation. And Jesus said, don't hinder her. Because what she's doing is she's anointing me for my burial. I'm going to go to a cross and nobody has come to offer me this kind of worship yet. Nobody has come to anoint me with what it cost them. Whether Mary was a woman of the night, I don't know what her story was. I know she was the sister of Martha. But what I do know is there started something about the fragrance of worship, the cost of worship, and the understanding that when you give God your life, you give him everything you were, and he makes you brand new whether it's the first woman that anointed his feet with her tears and dried him with her hair, or it was the, it's Mary in the scripture who broke the, the jar of anointing alabaster and just spread it all over him and anointed him for his burial. Jesus said, these anointings will be remembered. These things will be remembered. The cost it took to lay down your life and to worship him, to make him your priority. You don't know the cost of the oil in my alabaster box. I know some people can look at your life and think, oh, you're in a suit today. You're a preacher. You don't know where I came from. You don't know an 18-year-old boy struggling with pornography. You don't know what it's like to fast two weeks to try to get out of it so I did not be a fake through Bible college. You don't know it. Why do you say that again, Pastor? Doesn't that, that's going to change how people think of you. Because if I don't tell my testimony and repeat it over and over again, I will not remember what God did for me. It's my form of worship. The reptile came. It bit. Yes, it did. And it, it bit like an adder. It hurt my life. It changed me. But then I found the repetition of the washing of the word and the power of the Holy Ghost that changed my life. And my testimony is under the blood. Yes, that life is so far behind me. I don't know what that's like anymore. But I want you to know that I still repeat it because repetition reminds me that this is what God did. This was the cost of my oil. This was the cost of my worship, that I had God bring me out of a place that nobody should have ever gotten out of. That's the cost of my alabaster box. So I know today, as we stand here together, and I know you're standing, that maybe there's a place in your life where you want to surrender it to God. Maybe there's an alabaster jar you want to break in His presence. I would tell you this, don't ever let anybody tell you that your worship and your life given to God is a waste. Don't let a Judas come in and say, oh, you could have done so much more with your life had you come to God sooner. 
You could have done so much more had you given your life to God at a young age. You turn around and tell them God never wastes. God never wastes anything. And if he doesn't waste your future, he cannot waste your past, no matter how wrong or how bad it is. He will put it under his blood and he'll make it a ministry in your life. Because he wastes nothing you bring him. And so I come in the power of the Holy Ghost today with an anointing on my life and a mantle that says, your worship is worth it. Your life given to God is valuable. You find your strength and value in Him when you surrender all of yourself to Him as a gift to God. Would you lift your hands and would you give Him your oil today? Would you give Him your life and all the things it cost you to be here today? All the things it costs you to find him at the level that you're at right now, that is where you celebrate. You celebrate the cost because we can't give a world a gospel that costs us nothing or we'll have a faith that has no power. God, we give you our life, whatever it costs me. I give you my past, my present, my future. I give my future children. I give you my future grandchildren. I give you the hope that lies within me. I give you everything in my life. I bring my alabaster box today, and I break open my worship in your presence. This altar's open. If you want to come give yourself as a gift to God, you can do that today. If you want to give him your struggles right now, give those as a gift. He won't waste it. He'll convert it. He'll use it for his glory. Whatever you need, this altar's open. You make a place to pray. You can pray anywhere in this room, but take time with God and just offer yourself as a sweet-smelling aroma to heaven. Offer your worship to him right now and say, God, you are my everything. You are my everything. I look to you, God. I will not look to the things that look pleasing to the eye or look pleasing to the flesh. I will look to you, God. And your spirit's moving in my life. I want to be in your presence, Lord, so I know your voice when you speak. I know there's been some things that I've suffered in my life, but though the reptile bit, Lord God, the repetition is bringing me home. The power of the blood of Jesus washing me again and again is renewing my mind and renewing my heart, God. And I am so thankful for the refreshing of the worship I can offer you in this place. I lift up my alabaster box. I lift up my alabaster jar, God. Wherever you brought me from, you deserve all praise and glory. You brought me out of everything. And I speak my testimony. You're my strength and my song, God. You're my strength and my song, oh God. You're my strength and my song, oh God. You're the worship that I desire. You're the place where I belong. You are home to me, God. I find nothing greater. I find nothing more precious than you. Moved by the power of your spirit today, Jesus. Thank you. 